Welcome to another episode of Dakota Spotlight. I really appreciate you listening and would like you to know about Spotlight Plus. It is a subscription to Dakota Spotlight that provides bonus content, early access, and ad-free listening, all while supporting my work and the show you love. You can subscribe right in the Apple Podcasts app or visit dakotaspotlight.com. You're listening to Dakota Spotlight, a production of Forum Communications. My name is James Wallner. This is the first in a series of single-episode stories, or one-off episodes, produced during the summer of 2021. We will return to Season 5, A Better Search for Barbara, later in the year, but for right now, we're taking a little break from that story. After all, summer is partially about taking short breaks. You know, vacations, fishing, camping, school's out for summer, and all that. I really hope you're enjoying your summer and maybe finding some time to take a little hiatus yourself. Maybe you can enjoy this little podcast series while relaxing in a hammock overlooking a lake, as my daughter in Sweden told me she was doing recently on her birthday. Again, happy birthday to you, my amazing daughter. In this summer series, we're going to learn about some mysterious crimes and disappearances from around the world, and we will meet the people attempting to get justice for victims and their families. We will travel from Arizona to Australia and back again as we meet other journalists and podcast producers, both some hugely popular podcasts with millions of downloads and also the little tiny ones operating on nothing but sheer will and determination. We'll hear about their quests for the truth and who knows, maybe we'll learn something along the way that will help us on our search for missing Barbara Cotton. In this week's episode, we're headed somewhere where it is not summer in July. In Australia and other places in the Southern Hemisphere, it's winter. That's always been difficult for me to get my head around. Even more so, try to imagine celebrating the holiday season in December in the middle of a hot summer. That sounds weird to me, but on the other hand, what would this world be like if everything and everyone was the same? No diversity of seasons, culture, food, or for that matter, human beings. It would be like living in a town where every single house looked exactly the same and was painted the exact same color. What a flat and incredibly boring existence we would be enduring if that was the case. So let's head to Australia, where dialects and other things are just a little bit different from North Dakota. Imagine you're living your adult life when one day your mother, who is divorced and single, tells you she's going on a trip. She's taking a sabbatical of sorts from her job as a school teacher, and she's going to do some world traveling for a few months. Mom flies off to the UK, and during the following weeks, you and your sibling get a few postcards and a couple phone calls from Mom, and then you never hear from her again. She just vanishes. What would you do? You might tell the police about it, right? But what if the police say, we have located your mother, she's safe, doesn't want to be bothered, we can't tell you anything more, she deserves her privacy. What if you know in your heart that this does not sound right, that this is not who your mother is? Imagine there's nothing you can really do about it. Your life goes on. You get married and mom doesn't reach out. Your sibling dies. Mom does not reach out. Imagine it's now 24 years later and you still have not heard anything from your mother. This is what happened to Sally Layden in Australia. 
Her mother, Marion Barter, went missing in 1997 at the age of 51 after embarking on a trip. In this episode, we're going to speak with Alison Sandy, producer and one of two hosts of The Lady Vanishes, an Australian podcast about missing Marion Barter and her daughter's quest for answers all these 24 years later. And I'm excited about the timing of this interview because after two long years of hard work, this podcast team, working together with Sally Layden, daughter of missing Marion Barter, after a lot of pushback by authorities, finally just this month, are getting their day in court. An inquest is taking place right now to find out exactly what the truth is about Marion Barter. So, while this interview with podcast producer Allison Sandy took place a few days before the inquest, by the time you hear this, we may know what happened to Mary. Allison Sandy, thank you so much for joining us on Dakota Spotlight. How are you today? I'm very well, thanks, James. It's a pleasure to be here. Wow, what a great job you guys have done. You know, I've listened to... Everything except maybe two or three of the conversations in the middle of the season there. So what a phenomenal, phenomenal job you've done. Oh, well, thank you very much, James. It's been a labor of love because it has been going on for quite some time. But um, we, uh, yeah, we, we're glad to be finally getting around to the finale. That's great. So would you mind, I don't know how many times you've had to do this, would you mind giving my listeners who've never heard this story sort of the... I don't know, three or four minute boiled down story. <laughs> yeah, okay. So The Lady Vanishes is a podcast about Marion Barter, um, a.k.a. Flora Ramakel. Um, So she went missing 24 years ago and um, her daughter came and saw me about two and a half years ago and told me that she – uh, that her mother has been missing for 24 years, or back then it was 23, 22 years. But, and she said that uh, it had – really disturbed her because uh, at the moment she wasn't on the national missing persons list. She wasn't on any missing persons list and she'd been told that her mother went missing of her own volition. Now, her mother had been married three times, including to an Australian soccer great, Johnny Warren, which um, he's very famous in our country. And um, she was a teacher, a very successful teacher, award-winning and she decided to go with her uh, children, both grown, she decided to go on a trip of a lifetime to Europe and go and ride on the Orient Express. And um, so she did that in 1997 and it was supposed to be a year-long adventure. And then uh, there was records uh, where we found out that she, it looks like she returned after five weeks, but under a different name, under Florabel and Natalia Marian Ramakel. And that, um, and then had vanished without a trace. So it's um, it's really crazy. It really is. Why don't you tell um, my listeners also about your team? You're part of a news. Te- well, I'll let you tell us. Yes, absolutely. So I'm the executive producer of the Lady Vanishes podcast, and I am. I've been joined by um, investigative reporter Brian Seymour, who presents with me, and producer Sally Sally Eels, who um, writes a lot of the um, the episodes, or most of the episodes, or at least edits my work on it, and Mark Wright, who um, produces the um, develops, gets some music and things like that behind it, and puts it all together with sound effects and and makes it all sing. So it's um, we've been working very hard on this and. 
it's kind of funny because it's one of those stories that um, engaged everyone straight away. Everyone was interested. Everyone was on board. And Sally Laid and um, Marion's daughter had kept such meticulous records of of what happened to a mum and all the correspondence she'd had between various people, including the Salvation Army, um, New South Wales Police, uh, and you know the banks. As she's tried to find out why her mother's mother's sorry her mother's money has been missing, and uh, so all those records kept uh, were kept, and we were able to follow up as a result. And it was about the time when podcasts in Australia were becoming quite big. And it was really the only way to tell this story because, as you've already pointed out, it's very involved. There's a lot of information and um, we questioned um, the police on it and they quickly changed their tune. And um, as to the fact that, yes, it looks like she is missing and was eventually put back on the national missing persons list. Phenomenal. You know, um, well, a few things. When I was listening to it, I realized that there are some things in common with the season I'm working on right now, which we can get to in a little bit. But I want to say with Sally, um, her daughter, she's been a phenomenal part of your story. She's not a passive part of this story. She's very active and proactive. And in a way, she's sometimes feels as much of a host as the two of you, uh, um, you and Brian, you know, she's great. Yeah, well, I mean, the great thing about Sally is she was very articulate is very articulate. She's uh, still around, obviously, and um, and took these records. And sorry, I should just um, make a disclaimer there. We, she was Marion was never on the missing persons list, the national missing persons list. So we got her on for the first time. But yes, um, so but Sally Layden um, was so passionate, and and that's and is so passionate, and is a very dominant personality. Uh, I think, which is why um, she's got gotten as far as as she has and so it was very clear um if we were going to do this we had to do it properly and a podcast seemed the only way to do it and sally being involved given everything that she had gone through and um and there was so much correspondence from her uh, it was just much easier to do it on this uh as you know with her as opposed to just you know so she uh, yeah it very much feel felt as though she was part of the team as well, which is is different because I certainly have not done a story where the talent, as we would call them, is almost uh, you know part of the the journalistic investigation. I got to tell some of my listeners about some of the highlights. I guess I would call them. So Marion was a school teacher, and she was she had won some awards. She was a very, I guess, respectful person is that fair to say um absolutely you know she wasn't a criminal she wasn't into drugs or she was a very dependable person i would say from what i've learned and she goes yeah. she decides to t- take this trip and l- there's that story it's just very interesting where her son-in-law sally's husband right is helping her pack her belongings and all of a sudden she says you have to leave kind of rude right and kind of mm. more or less throws them out of the house you got to go now and then later that same evening, Sally and what was her husband's name? Remember? Chris. Sally and Chris are at a fast food restaurant. And here comes Marion in her car with a man they've never seen before. Do I have that right? Yeah. So I think it was a petrol station that, that, that at the time or something. And Sally ran over and um, 
and saw her mum and and said, you know, basically called out to her and her, and her mother was like a deer in headlights. Um, <laughs> so so this was very much a shock and, it, you know, that mystery man has right. been part of this whole investigation and is key, we believe, in finding out what happened to her. But, I mean, there are so many different tracks that we went down and, you know, whether he is the same guy that that she potentially ran away with, we are, you know, it's it's still still out there. Uh, and hopefully this inquest, which starts next week, will answer a lot of these questions. Hello, dear listener. This is James, host of Dakota Spotlight, inviting you to subscribe to Spotlight Plus. For as little as $5 per month, you will get the warm feeling of supporting the show and also unlock access to bonus episodes. Get the episodes early and listen ad-free. That's right, no more ads. Apple users can subscribe to Spotlight Plus Standard right in the Apple Podcasts app. If you want to dive deeper and get even more exclusive benefits, subscribe to Spotlight Plus Premium or Spotlight Plus Ultimate. Go to dakotaspotlight.com for more details. Let me give some background on this story. At first, police said they had located Marion Barter and that she wanted nothing to do with her family. But later on, it was learned that this was not entirely true. It turns out that no police officer ever actually met with or saw Marion. Another odd thing is in regards to Marion's money and her bank account. Marion had sold her house before going on this trip. Then, when Sally started looking for clues about her missing mother, she discovered that Marion, or someone at least, had drained Marion's bank account. In fact, every day over a three-week period, someone had withdrawn 5000 Australian dollars from Marion's bank account. Another odd part of this story was trying to understand if Marion Barter had ever actually returned to Australia from her trip, or had she perhaps met with trouble. Had someone assumed her identity, flown to Australia, and drained Marion's bank account? And finally, to complicate things even more, Marion's travel paperwork said she was returning to Australia for just eight days. And that's not all. It seems Marion had actually changed her identity, or at least her name, and assumed the name Florabella Natalia Marion Remichel. The paperwork also stated that she was now a housewife living in the country of Luxembourg. She goes to England, right, and mm. sends some postcards. And you guys, you guys did exactly what I would do if I had the budget. At some point, you know, you guys went there, found the mailbox where she probably put those postcards in, if it was indeed her sending them. I mean, there's all these questions. You found the boutique where she bought a postcard, I think, basically retraced her footsteps. But for people who do not know this story, she sends these postcards home. And then she stops communicating with her kids, right? Um, Sally's brother had a birthday, I think. And that's when they started to think, oh, hmm, no one's heard from mom. Then this weird thing comes up. Could you explain a little more about this name change and her potentially coming back to Australia? I'm, I'm unsure if you've ever, if you know for sure that she actually ever came back to Australia. It's so complicated. <laughs> Yes, well, it was something that um, did come up, and it, it was very strange because Marion, you know, she's the one thing that seemed to be clear is Marion like was you know like to be loved or loved to be in love, and so um, potentially that 
but I guess what it was a secret love, if if um is what we believe. There's this okay. secret love, and she obviously didn't want to tell anyone about it. And when she said um, that she uh, wanted to, well, that she was going to enjoy a holiday, she wouldn't be in contact for right. a while. Um, it seemed as though this was something that um, was preempted by potentially falling off the grid or, mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, so, yeah, so there's all this sort of stuff that, um, but it, it never seemed like it was a forever thing, that she was going to be off the grid potentially for, you know, maybe a few months or something mm-hmm. like that, not forever. And, yes, as, um, as we found out, um, that's when Sally got suspicious when she didn't contact Owen for his birthday. Owen was Sally's brother, Marion Barter's son. Marion was very particular. She, you know, she middle class woman. Um, she she had an image, you know, that she liked to uphold. Um, Laura Ashley clothes, um, mm-hmm. being the you know award winning teacher, and um, you know liked things antiques and things like that. And so part of that persona was also about you know acknowledging people's birthdays, particularly her kids, obviously, who she loved very much, and, um, you know, sending postcards and letters and things like that, which she did too. So when she didn't contact Owen for his birthday, that's when Sally knew there was something wrong because it was completely out of character. And what we found looking at all missing cases is that's it's the, the next of kin who actually know better than, say, the police about um, – about people going missing that they love because it's them doing stuff that's out of character, which really defines um, you defines them being missing. You know that that um, you know you know it's not just a and also you know I mean people going missing they're usually either really young as well you know like so they're running away from home or something like that. This she's a middle aged woman. There's no real reason that she should have gone missing. So um, so then. Um, Sally reported it, um, and it was pretty much written off as just, uh, um, it, you know, the police didn't do anything about it. Um, and so then the family started to do their own, you know, checking and, um, Salvos became involved and then, um, they were, they seemed to be from the advice of the police that, um, that she had, she was okay and that she, um, that she'd gone missing of her own volition, and so that, so that in that time, they'd sort of eased off. But then the, they found out that, you know, making more inquiries, that the money had um, gone out of her account. We'll be right back with Alison Sandy, producer of the podcast "The Lady Vanishes," about the mysterious disappearance of Marion Barter in 1997 in Australia. We're back with Alison Sandy, producer of the podcast The Lady Vanishes, an Australian podcast about the mysterious disappearance of Marion Barter in 1997. We have looked at the handwriting on the incoming um, card, the you know that that they have the, um, the airline for... card or whatever. Right. Yeah, that they they have to sign, and it is her handwriting. So okay. even though it's a new name, Flora Bella. Um, and you know, the, you know, from Luxembourg, a housewife in Luxembourg, is yeah. what it said on it, um, and that she was only coming back for I think eight days. Um, it was her handwriting, so we are confident that it was her that came back. Um, okay. But what happened then is what wow. is a mystery. So when the police start looking into all of this, we're like, well, the woman changed her name 
um, she obviously wanted to start a new life. And that's probably one of the biggest reasons not much was done. And I didn't Sally, wasn't Sally under the impression that a police officer had actually spoken with or met with her and some, someone had seen yes. her? Yes, that, 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 that had been, um, that, that been a conversation the police um, with said, her. They said, we have located her and she's okay or something like that. And yes. Sally lived with that for years, right? Or Yeah. And then, it fi- and then we find out um, upon closer inspection that that didn't actually happen. No. Nope. So let's explain a little bit about those 5,000. Oh, here comes a train. I'll have to mute this. 5,000 Australian dollars a day for three weeks from her bank account. This is what Sally had had found out or was told, like because they were saying that you know something strange. The person she was speaking speaking to, it seems like your mother's money has um, been drained from her her account, and so Sally reported that. But look, some of that information we are still trying to clarify that you know the actual bank and things like that. So a lot of that will come out in the inquest because the police seem to indicate that. There is a bit of discrepancy with some of that information. I mean, I don't know if it's the the different bank account or um, or what what is the issues. But we have followed up on it, and um, we do know that, for example, the money that was in um, superannuation um, has still was left untouched and things like that. So, and we also yeah, so there was also money that was transferred um, so that she could access it. Um, so that was just. So much, so much confusion with the finances. And one of the things that people would say to us is follow the money and you'll find out what happened. But the problem we had is Marion was not declared deceased or not, not even missing. So it was really important for her to be put on the register because otherwise um, she's still considered alive and therefore privacy is an issue. We can't invade someone's privacy. So at least, so Sally was unable to go get that information for privacy reasons, and um, and that has been pretty much the, the big dilemma right from the very beginning. So we've, we've only really got like bits and pieces and other stuff. I mean, people have been really helpful. It's been really amazing mm-hmm. how many people have come on board and tried to to be to be basically computer investigators themselves, you know, detectives yep. that would um, would hunt this information. And um, so many of them, Sally has a band now of super sleuths. We call them, she calls mm-hmm. them her sleuthies or something like that. And there's, there's about six of them and a few standouts who have engaged in this computer investigation. Do you say in the podcast at one point, you think part of the problem, I shouldn't say problems, some of the roadblocks you ran into has to do maybe with the pride of law enforcement. Do you still, do you remember saying that? Yeah, I still believe that because there have been a lot of cases, not just this one, which have um, been almost covered up um, and there's been, you have to kind of drag them kicking and screaming to admitting they're wrong you know even with the instance I mean you'll see how it police change their tune in the instance where at first they're just like no no she's not missing she went missing off her own volition we know this because of this this and this and then you would say but it's you know been over 20 years surely (laughs) surely now somebody would have heard something and and so they were defending their interpretation of it from the beginning um, and so part of the investigation 
or the inquest will cover is whether police handled this case properly. And they won't like that. And and there's a fear that they may try to put the blame back onto Sally or, you know, in sense of, you know, she didn't provide us with the right information or something like that. Or And, and so, you know, I don't think they're – I mean, the smart thing to have done would have just said, you know what, this could have been handled better. Um, you know, we're going to do everything we can now. But we had to get it to a point of an inquest and, and fight so hard for that for before they were really going to take it seriously. And even now they resent us as the media so much um, you know, there there has been many communications um, where it has been indicated how much they loathe <laughs> our podcast. And um, well, and, I sympathize you know, because we've had the same. I've been labeled uh, recently a cop hater, and really, we're just asking questions, trying to find out what happened to a missing person. And same again, similar thing is the initial investigation, which was in 1981 has fallen into question quite a bit. Like main, you know, pe last people who saw Barbara, we don't find any report of any law enforcement agency interviewing these people who, I mean, this story, we're not here to talk about Barbara Cotton really, but imagine this, Allison, there's two, or there's three persons of interest in her disappearance. Two of them hung themselves in jail within, well, the first one within a month of her disappearance. The other one hung himself in jail in a different state three months later and um one of those individuals was the last was definitely seen with her the night she disappeared and there's no record of an interview with him by police ever and when we asked the question well that can't possibly be right well no just because we don't have a record of it doesn't mean you know he wasn't mm -hmm. interviewed and immediately you know we're not here to talk about the initial investigation we're here to get um, my opinion on that is, well, we're here. If you don't look at how things might have been not handled correctly early on, you don't know really where to look. So it sounds very similar, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, it, it, was, it was so weird that we even got to a point where um, the homicide squad or unit in um, New South Wales had taken over and there was a new investigator looking at it. And we couldn't even find out their name. We were told, you know, like Sally Layden, the daughter knew, but was told not to disclose her name to us. And you just think, what? What? Right. You know, right. It's just <laughs> weird, right? You know, anyway. But yeah, yeah it's, it is it is odd. And there is a lot of that. And, you know, um, we bear the brunt of that, um, you know, the criticism. Whereas we're just trying to get answers as you say you know we're just trying to get to the bottom of a very valid mystery these are people's right. lives and we've even quoted you know um harry bosch you know the detective you know uh, the fictional detective um everybody counts or nobody counts you know on marion barter's travel information she indicated she had remarried and was living in luxembourg her new last name was remakel a very 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 uncommon surname in addition to all this, during their investigation, Allison and her podcast team discovered a classified ad that was published in Australia before Marion went missing. It was one of those Lonely Hearts adverts, a relationship thing, man seeking woman. It was in a French language magazine published in Australia, and the ad was placed by a Mr. Remakel. Could Marion Barter have seen that classified ad? Is this the man she met, fell in love with, and ran away with? 
The name Remakel turned out to be so uncommon that Allison and her team were able to track down just a few people on Earth with the surname, one of which matched the age of the man who placed that ad in the magazine. And this man lives in Luxembourg. Marion Barter's travel documents said she was now living in Luxembourg as a housewife. So, Allison's podcast team traveled to Luxembourg to speak with this man named Remakel. The man was somewhat difficult for them to speak with, and he claimed he had no idea who Marion Barter is or was. Back in Australia, Allison tried to call him once more, and it was certainly a difficult conversation to listen to. Eventually, I decided I'd ring him again, even though by that stage we'd come back. But I thought give him another shot just to, as I said, um, rule himself out and ask these questions. And it was very difficult uh, trying to get answers. And we asked them with an interpreter in the first case. In the second case, knowing that he speaks English, we did it over the phone. And I didn't have an interpreter, but... Uh, he certainly seemed to have selective understanding of English. Here's a snippet. Okay, uh, well, yeah. I, I, I'm okay. recording this and I'm trying to get answers to the questions. Will, will you answer any of my questions? You now are recording. Give me the, um, the address of Sally Layden, her letter. Hmm? I will accept that letter. So, and then we, so what you're and saying, then we, uh, and then I will reply. Okay. Okay. So you're saying you only. Do you know? Do you know? Uh, it's seven o'clock here. Yes, do I do. Do you know that? I do. In know. the morning. Yes. Yes, I do seven know that. Seven o'clock in the morning. Yes. You do. Yes. Yes. I mean, yeah. I, I, I mean, if huh. this was not your preferred time, I thought Marie would advise yesterday. If you want me to ring back at a different time, I'm more than happy to. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yesterday it was also uh, seven o'clock. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just thought that was a respectable time because obviously that's when we start having radio oh, calls. And... Time. Okay. Uh, do give me the uh, the address of Sally, and then we continue. Okay. Okay. So what you're saying is you you will answer my questions if I give you Sally Layden's address. If you give me the, the address of Sally Lydon, that's all I ask you. You do it or you don't do it. That's uh, well, that's yeah. fine. I mean, I don't have it on me now. Okay. But in the meantime, because yeah. I said to Marie, I said, look, if we could just get answers to these questions, we could just let this finish, you know, because, like, we know that you, you know, obviously you, you played football, international football, and, and we, we have a couple of questions. Give me the address of Sally Lydon. All right, so, okay. so you're not going to answer any questions. All right, can you at least tell it's me... It's easier to read the tally okay? That, that's fine. Um, Fernand, can you just at least tell us whether you wrote the ad? I think you've also mentioned that witness protection programs came up. Did you consider that? We did. So we went down that route as well, and it really seems as if that isn't plausible. We spoke to an expert, and she really didn't seem to fit that that descriptor. So there's one other thing I want to talk about is 
because I just put out an episode, I think it was episode 15, about cults. And I told my listeners how I'm very skeptical of that in the Barbara Cotton case. But when you guys looked into the cults, it started to sound really promising because she's changing her name and certain cults require people to do that or encourage it. She's taking out money, $5,000 a day for several weeks. It kind of feels like maybe someone's convincing her to take out this money. So in your story, it actually sounded much more plausible. Has that been ruled out at this point? We haven't found any evidence to support that theory. And certainly the ones that we went down, Scientology being one as well, there was just nothing to support that. And so, yeah, we haven't gone down that route any further. I asked Alison to explain more about the inquest. What it is, essentially, is de determination of whether somebody is alive or dead and what is likely to have happened to them and investigating uh, all the possible answers and speaking to witnesses. Because, as we've, we've discussed already, because Marion is still considered alive, uh, there is so many privacy blocks that we can't access information or her daughter can't access information, including um, her, her bank accounts and things like that. Um, they can't go, they can't be um, closed or anything. So those, that money that wow. she has for superannuation and, and what she had left is just sitting there. Um, but that's obviously not the reason that Sally's doing this. She just wants some closure uh, and she wants to know what happened. Um, as much as she possibly can, and, and this inquest is the one way of doing it. So they will determine that, um, you know, they'll look at whether or not this it was her that left the country and came back, um, which, as I said, our own investigation indicates it is, and uh, what happened in that time, um, because the authorities will have access to information that we don't on that basis, So, um, and that has been blocked to us for for privacy reasons. So at the very end of it, the coroner, not straight away, but will deliberate and decide whether or not she's likely, if they don't know for sure, whether she's likely to be dead, and then they'll give that finding. Is exciting the right word to use, or what, how are you all feeling about this? And when is it? Well, well it, it starts on June 21st, and it goes uh, for two weeks. Wow. And we, I guess it is exciting, but also... There's apprehension yeah. and anxiety because this is the last ditch effort, really, in finding out what happened to Marion. Right. And um, I think that's a bit nerve-wracking for Sally mm -hmm. because if there aren't any answers, she just has to live with that. Right. And I'm, I'm sure there will be. There will be exciting aspects of it that come out. We, we know that um, there's information that, that hasn't been uncovered or exposed before publicly. So it will have some answers. But I think there's limitations to what the police investigation could do, mm -hmm. including mostly, I think, due to COVID, but also international, ah. you know, uh, jurisdictions like Luxembourg particularly, which has a very big privacy laws that prevent um, information right. like this being... And because the connections are still relatively tenuous, uh, it just hasn't – I mean, 
you'd think that there would be someone on that list from Luxembourg that could even clarify whether Marion was a resident there or that she was ever a resident or there'd been any record of her flying into the country or things like that. But there doesn't seem to be, from what I've seen, anything that indicates that, which is a worry. So I'm not quite sure. I mean, that's an area... Um, that needs to be looked into and I think international relations and what can you know jurisdictions and what can be provided um, in a way like this um, even you know if it's not somebody that's being sought because of a criminal history or something like that that that, that there might be extra protections for them in a place like Luxembourg which might have been the reason a person may choose to go there if they want to fall off the grid so much frustration for sally though because you know if you imagine your mother goes missing and you try to find answers but no one will tell you because they're basically saying well your mother has a right to disappear if she wants to and first she's told that we know she's okay can't get answers then you find out well actually we've never seen her or talked to her (laughs) I just can't imagine how frustrating this is for Sally. And I'll tell you the thing that leads me, and I'm, I know you're ahead of me on this, but the thing that leads me to believe that she met with foul play is that the money that went missing is seems like money that someone else might have been able to find out about. But then the other things where, you know, there's money that was never touched. And it just feels like if it was Marion, she would have, taken all of her money from all of these different places but it kind of feels like the money that was taken it was you know someone found out about this and forced her or took it themselves with her identity or something but this other money and was never touched that's the way i that's why i feel like she met with foul play yeah i i agree um particularly since um according to our investigation she it was her that came back to the country oh right yeah Wow. And you know, so some people are listening, my listeners might be a little confused yet, and they might be wondering, this inquest thing, why didn't did you guys just do this in the first place? They might be thinking this. So, I mean, you've had to work your butts off for two years. I mean, this would have not have happened without the podcast. There's just no, there's just no question about it, right? There- well, I think that's what why we're hated so much (laughs) it's a lot of work that they undoubtedly think would have been spent better elsewhere but it's that whole thing coming back to you know this is a person who you know everybody counts or nobody counts right so they you know we we sally has a right to know everybody has a right to know and you know maybe marion you know from the grave you know she is having having justice potentially yes. served in in her case and i mean there's been so much that did happen in her absence for example her son killing himself right. um which you can't imagine marion ever having turned off to or not responded to um sally's wedding again yeah. marion not having turned up given how she felt about everything yeah. It's it, it is implausible that Marion would have been missing for all this time unless something had happened to her. Alison, thank you so much for your time. Was there anything I 
didn't ask you that you were hoping I would ask you or anything else you'd like to add before we jump off here? No, I, I mean, I just say that one of the things that when you are, when you do work on something like this and you do the deep dive is how much you become invested as well. Yes. Um, I think that's impossible not to, um, as an, as a journalist um, or anybody that um, that involves himself in this and then having justice. I mean, I don't know um, what motivation other people have, but for me, it's always about justice. So hopefully that's what, you know, this is this is the aim that I mean, isn't that what we all should be? Shouldn't everyone involved want the same thing? I mean, that's what I always find surprising that right. that there just seems to be um, a little bit of a um, opposition to that. Yeah. But, you know, good luck with everything, and I hope that you know. And I will be listening to your your podcast too, and, and join your Facebook group. Oh, wonderful! And best of luck with the inquest. I obviously you'll be putting out an episode as soon as possible after you. Yeah. After that. And I'm looking forward to hearing that. And maybe we can touch base again after that. That would be fantastic. No worries. I would love that. Thanks, James. Thank you, Alison. Appreciate it. Bye. Bye. This was Alison Sandy, producer and co-host of the Lady Vanishes podcast. Just recently, since this interview, the inquest has finished up in Australia. To find out what happened to Marion, listen to the Lady Vanishes or maybe just check out their website, theladyvanishes.org. That's all for this week. I hope you enjoyed learning about this story from the comfort of your hammock or while you're on your road trip or whatever it is you're up to today. We'll be back next week with more. I'm James Walner. Thank you so much for listening to Dakota Spotlight. Thank you so much for listening. To support my work, get early access, listen ad-free, and much more, please consider subscribing to Spotlight Plus. Apple users can even subscribe right in the Apple Podcasts app. Learn more about Spotlight Plus at dakotaspotlight.com.